Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Peace the past. that passes my understanding love that conquers my fear and regret joy unending eternal pleasure in your presence
Well, how are you, church? That was so good. I don't need to preach. We're just going to give an altar call right now. How many of you are ready to give your life to Jesus? Maybe for the 50th time. Uh, yeah, hey, it's great to be with you guys. For those of you that haven't met yet, my name is David Walters. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the Vine Church, and it's a privilege to be able to greet you on Easter. In fact, the ancient church, the pastor would typically get up and in front of the congregation and declare, he has risen, and then the people would respond, he has risen indeed. So let's just give that a shot this morning at trying to be like a little bit of like traditional and ancient uh, in this modern church that we have. So are you with me? Let's try that. He is risen. Man, you guys are awesome. We made the 915 service do that twice. They hadn't had enough caffeine yet. Like, I'm not preaching until you guys show a little bit of excitement about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, because that's something to be excited about, right? Uh, I mean, because uh, if Jesus came back from the dead, then it is proof, all the proof that we need to be participants in our resurrection and our promise of eternal life when we have faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, before we get into the topic of our conversation today and over the next five weeks of this subject called heaven, uh, I just wanted to show you proof that uh, this guy named Paul writes about, that Jesus came back from the dead. That proof is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if we have proof that Jesus came back from the dead, then we have proof and the promise that we too will experience a resurrected life and experience eternal life with Jesus Christ. So here's what this guy named Paul wrote, and just a little bit of background on Paul, even though he says it here. He was a persecutor of the church. In fact, he murdered Christians. And then he experienced an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, this Jesus who died and then came back from the dead, and he started planting churches as a minister. That's how radical uh, transformation can take place in a person's life through an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. So this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep, any of which could have disputed the fact that Jesus came back from the dead and none of them did so. That's not in there. That was my addition to that portion of scripture, just so you know. Then he appeared to James. That was his half-brother. James was Jesus' half-brother. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, showed up, showed himself to his half-brother. If anybody was going to dispute the validity of the Son of God, it would be the half-brother of Jesus, because that's what brothers do, right? But he didn't. He didn't. There's proof in the resurrection. And then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I per persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. When, whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so we believed. We have proof in the resurrection of Jesus, and we have the opportunity to believe or to believe in vain. It's up to us. 
And this is what we are called to believe. And if we believe that Jesus died for our sins and that he came back from the dead, then we have proof of a promise. And that is that all of us get to participate in his resurrection, which is why we're spending the next couple of weeks talking about this subject of heaven. Because when it comes to our resurrection and our promise of eternal life, it would be good to know where we're going, right? And and so we're going to talk about that today in this series. Um, We're going to talk about what heaven is like. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at the subject of heaven. Because what we know is that 72% of Americans believe that there is a heaven, but much less than that can't describe what heaven is all about. And, And much less than that can't even speak with the assurance and the confidence that they will get into heaven when they die. And I would say, and what we're going to talk about today is much less than that would even know that heaven can enter into us so that we can live. So we're gonna talk about that over the next couple of weeks. We thought we would start with the conversation today of what heaven will be like. In fact, we kind of were prompted with this question. If I could only imagine what heaven will be like when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun, like what would... Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. So if you haven't paid attention to Hollywood over the past couple of weeks, there's been a movie called I Could Only Imagine. It's based off of the story of the the songwriter for the song that's now, in my opinion, an ancient song, I Could Only Imagine, um, where there's this description of heaven or the question of what heaven will be like. And and so what will heaven be like? And maybe you've got kind of your own images of what heaven will be like. Um, We thought that maybe some of you, when you picture what heaven will be like, you thought about the land of Oz. Um, And so maybe that's like, you know, there's this yellow brick road or a gold brick road, you know, leading into this Emerald City, or maybe you thought about Disney and um, Cinderella's Castle. How many of you are like, you're, you're mouse people, you know, you're all about this. This is like heaven on earth when, uh, but when I think about heaven on earth, this is what I think about, um, Sanford Stadium, you know, so go dogs. Um, you know, so about, you know, Athens is about the closest you get to heaven on earth, you know, and so, and so maybe that's what you picture, and, and maybe some of your picture of heaven, your image of heaven has been shaped by Hollywood, and Hollywood has, has seemed to really kind of taken the subject of heaven seriously over the years, you know, and so maybe you think about heaven being in the clouds. Maybe you think about heaven being a ball field in Iowa where if you build it, they will come, you know. I mean, there's a, there's a number of pictures that, that um, Hollywood paints for us of what heaven's like. Uh, m- one of those pictures is that, that dogs will be in heaven, and so when you get asked the question, are dogs in heaven, we know the answer, and the answer is all dogs go to heaven. What's interesting is that in 22 years of ministry, no one has ever asked me if cats go to heaven. And I think that's because we all know the answer to that, right? (laughs) Which is proof that there's a hell. And uh, anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Like, don't send me hate email. (laughs) Seriously, like, don't send me hate email. I am married to a cat lover, okay? I love her. She loves cats. Um, My kids love her, and so they got into her phone one day, and they changed, like, the title instead of, like, Elizabeth. It's Crazy Cat Lady. And so, um, so I love her. She loves cats. That still doesn't make me like cats. Anyway, so... We have guts, um, but they won't be in heaven. Anyway, <laughs> there will be one. There'll be a lion, lion and the lamb. Anyway, all right, so, um, 
so we, we kind of have these images of what heaven will be like, and so when we ask the question, you know, if we could imagine what heaven would be like, what would it be, and, and, and most of us think about, like, what's, what it's going to look like, and we thought it would be interesting to work with uh, Jonathan Vinson, who goes to our church, who also owns a company called Life Documented, to interview some of our kids in Kidzoo about what they thought heaven would look like and be like, and this is what they said. Let's take a look. There'll be golden streets and golden sidewalks, no madness or crying. You'll just be all happy. I think it will have cats and dogs roaming around and angels feeding them food. There will be a big screen of earth and kids will be, angel kids will be playing all around. Nice, beautiful, um, very sunny and Lots of people and everything happy. Tall towers. The people are wearing mm, nice clothes. They're not like um, dirty. They're always like clean. I think heaven will look like um, pretty because it'll probably have flowers in it. Yeah, so flowers and clean clothes, kind of like Easter Sunday, yeah, where, where even the pastor dresses up once a year. Yeah, um, and so when it comes to the question of what heaven will be like, a lot of us, we use descriptions of what it will look like, um, because that's kind of how we've been shaped, what it will look like. Um, today, we're going to ask the question, what will heaven be like? And a lot of us maybe even um, know biblically that there's a lot of information that shares with us what heaven will look like. We're going to be taking a look at um, primarily the description of heaven from Revelation chapter 21 today. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll be hanging out with verses 1 through 4 as kind of our baseline scripture that which we will spring from to go to other Bible passages. Um, because the Bible actually has full of information about what heaven will be like, and so we want to know what that's like. We'll, we'll talk about what it's like today, then next week we'll talk about what we will be like in heaven, and so that's going to be interesting. The week after that we'll take a look at what we will do in heaven, the next week we'll talk about what we won't do in heaven, and then the last week we'll talk about how we can help heaven come here to earth. And so if you brought your Bibles or you got a Bible, I want to invite you to go with me to, to Revelation chapter 21. Now this is, a, this is a moment in history for the Vine Church. I think this is the first Sunday morning that we've taught on the book of Revelation, and we're trying to do that on Easter. Um, that's, we're taking a risk here, that, but we like to live life dangerously at the Vine, okay? So welcome to the Vine. Uh, we're taking a look at Revelation. Revelation is written by a guy named John, and just like um, uh, Paul encountered a resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, John encountered the resurrection of Jesus, but he had a different lens going into the death and the burial of Jesus. When Jesus was buried, John um, was looking at his best friend uh, being crucified, being beaten, dying, then being placed in a tomb. And we know that John was uh, the beloved disciple. It was one of Jesus' best friends. And so he saw his best friend die. You can imagine the significance of that. Maybe some of you have experienced that in life, best friend or family member. Um, but then he also experienced Jesus coming back from the dead. So you can imagine like his devotion for his best friend just kind of ramped up even more. And then um, John actually survived a lot of the persecution of the earliest church to live a very long life after Jesus was resurrected. And then um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
John gets this great picture of what life will look like at the end of time, including these last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation that describe what a, a new and eternal heaven is going to look like. And while we're reading verses one through three today, and then we'll be hanging out with verse four throughout this series, if you go on beyond what we'll read today, you'll see that there's this great description of what heaven is going to look like. And, and I've got notes because there's so much detail uh, just to help me out. Um, John writes that it's gonna radiate like a rare jewel. So all you people that love rare jewels, um, heaven's the place for you. It's gonna have jasper and crystal. It's gonna have walls of jasper, uh, the wall base is going to be full of rare jewels, uh, so many that I can't even pronounce, and I don't even know what they are, but things like sapphire, emerald, onyx, da, 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 let the boys put anyway, um, and amethyst, that's a throwback to the 90s, it's okay. Um, there's all kinds of like precious jewels that will be there. There will be gates of pearl, so all you people that love pearls, there'll be a whole gate that's made of pearl, or gates that are made of pearl. There will be streets and sidewalks made of gold, as you heard from our kids in Kidzu. Uh, there's gonna be a river that's like crystal and glass. There's gonna be a, a tree that bears fruits, that bears fruit in all seasons of the year, not just one season of the year. I mean, how cool is that? You know, and so, so you get this great description of what heaven's gonna look like, or what heaven is going to look like. It's gonna be this beautiful, wonderful place and when you think about all the beautiful, wonderful places you've been to, I bet you could describe the beauty and the majesty of those places. For me, I've got a short list of the two most beautiful places that I've been to. The first most beautiful place that I've been to is San Juan Island in Washington State. This, the second most beautiful place that I've been to is Grand Cayman Island in the Caribbean. And uh, there, there are different places and different climates and different temperatures, but you know, one, there's snow-capped mountains, and the other one, there's snow-white beaches. One has, has sea lions, and the other one has starfish, and and um, Stingray. Um, but what makes those for me the most beautiful place is not just the scenery and the environment, it's that beautiful people went with me. And often if we would categorize beautiful places, most of us would say that what makes those places beautiful are the beautiful people that went with us. And so when I, when I went to San Juan Island, I went with my bride of just a few days. You know, Liz and I, that's where we went on our honeymoon. And that was awesome. In fact, I wish we could go back. Anyway, um, and then when I went to Grand Cayman Island, we had all six of our family, four kids, you know, and, and we're there. And what made those places the most beautiful places were the, were the most beautiful people. And what we're going to find when we read just in these next couple of verses, what makes heaven so beautiful and so wonderful is not just the beautiful scenery as we can only imagine and that we've also got described for us, but the most beautiful, most wonderful, most majestic, most glorified and glorious person, and that's Jesus. And so that's what makes heaven heaven, and we'll see that in just these couple of verses. So if you're, you're there with me, we'll pick up reading in verse one, I'll pause for just a second, and then verse two, pause, and verse three, and we'll finish out. Verse one, this is what John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And so just to give us a frame of reference, when it comes to the study of heaven, what we know is, especially from John, is that in our current timeline, there's obviously a current earth, right? 
We're living in that current time. So as we exist in this chronos, this current timeline, where we're in 2018 of after, you know, the, the, in the year of the Lord AD or, or common era, however you're schooled, whatever you want to say, this is our, our current. And that as we s- exist in current timeline on earth, there's also a current heaven, but there will be a day where there is a new heaven and a new earth that there's going to be an eternal heaven and an eternal earth that will replace the old. And for the sake of this conversation over the next five weeks, we're going to spend time focusing on this eternal um, earth and this eternal heaven and and the description that we have in that because that's where we're going to spend the most amount of time. And so just wanted to make that clear before we move on. And then now we read verse 2. And John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so he has this picture that he has of this new heaven, this new earth coming down, almost like a bride walking down the aisle to get married. Uh, Yesterday afternoon, I performed a wedding in Monroe, Georgia. Now, if you're making plans for next year to get married, please don't schedule a wedding on Easter weekend and ask me to do it. It's a little busy that weekend, okay? All right, I'll still do it, but just please don't. And, um, (laughs) So I'm sitting there in this, this backyard, this backyard wedding of a, of a family friend, and, um, and she walks down the aisle, and I have the same response that I have every time I've seen a bride walk down the aisle. I start to get a little emotional. Well, I mean, the pollen was in the air, and it was a little, the sun was in my eyes, and so I get a little emotional because I have never seen an ugly bride. I mean, brides are absolutely beautiful. In fact, you can take UGLY, you ain't got no alibi, put it in a wedding dress, and all of a sudden, like, beautiful, like, unbelievable. You know, I mean, that's what happens when you put a, a woman in a beautiful wedding dress. It's just absolutely stunning, beautiful. And I don't know that there's anything else that, in all honesty, that I can describe that is as beautiful as that. And sure enough, you know, Ericone comes walking down the aisle um, to meet her husband, or her husband-to-be, and, and I'm getting emotional because she's absolutely beautiful. I told Liz, Liz is a family friend uh, with Erica, and um, I told Liz, I was like, man, Erica was beautiful. And then I was like, okay, but Liz, you're, all, you're, you're still the most beautiful bride I've ever seen, okay? Yeah, just to clarify, I didn't want to sleep on the couch last night. Um, there's something stunningly beautiful about that, and, and for whatever reason, Like, John, when he sees this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, this new earth, like, the only words that he can use to describe the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of that is like a bride walking down the aisle. It's stunning, it's beautiful, it's majestic. And he says that. And I go, oh, man, I can't can't imagine what that's going to be like. I can only imagine what it's going to be like. You can only imagine what it's going to be like. But then it hit me as we were preparing for this message. The groom never marries the bride for the bride's dress. The the groom never marries the bride for the hair and the makeup provided by formal faces and Jen Adams. (laughs) Who's not here, but she's in the Caribbean. Anyway, I'm not bitter, I'm just saying. The groom never, never marries the bride for the the pomp and the circumstances, the decor, the flowers, all that stuff. None of that. But the person within the dress. The person within the dress. And what we're going to see in just a second is that John describes the person in the dress. 
John describes what is, what is going to be what makes heaven heaven in verse 3. Listen to what he writes. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. What makes heaven heaven is that it is the full residence and full reign of Jesus. It's where Jesus' home is located. It's where Jesus' throne is located fully. It's where he resides. It's where he reigns. And what makes heaven, heaven is not that it's a better than the alternative. It's not that it's like this grand and glorious place. It's because Jesus dwells fully there. Jesus is what makes this, this bride's dress look beautiful and this whole entry of the new heaven and the new earth so amazing and splendorous is because Jesus is there. And the reason that we have this desire and this longing for eternity is not so that we can go to this most glorious Oz or Disney World or theme park or golf course or whatever you can imagine when it comes to heaven. It's so that we can see Jesus. And, and it's why we can sing on Sunday mornings about this wonderful Jesus. And we can sing that because we anticipate this moment where we will be able to see Jesus face to face fully and say, you are wonderful, you are the most beautiful, you are the most glorious. That is what makes heaven, heaven. And that's why at 41 years of age, like, I long for that day when I'm able to see Jesus face to face fully because that's where he resides and that's where he reigns fully. It hasn't always been, like, my perspective when it comes to heaven. When I was younger, like, heaven was simply the alternative for hell. I was um, talking to somebody in our church that goes to the other campus last Sunday night, and he said he was excited for Easter because we were going to talk about heaven. And I said, well, it's not just Easter. It's like for the next couple of weeks, we're going to take an in-depth look at heaven. He was like, well, what we should do is take an in-depth look at hell, you know? And I was like, okay, all right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of implied in this conversation. Um, but, but I remember being a kid and knowing that Jesus died on the cross because my parents, they, they drug us to church every week. You know, we were there every Sunday unless we were sick or on vacation. And, and we went and I learned Jesus died on the cross for my sins. In fact, you can ask most kids who have some exposure with church, why did Jesus die? Jesus died for my sins. And what I knew at eight years old is I did not want to go to hell when I died. Like who wants to sign up for that, right? Especially a kid. So what I did at eight years old is I bought some fire insurance. I asked Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins so that I wouldn't go to hell when I died. As I got a little bit older, because we were again in church, and, and over the course of time, you, you hear about heaven and what heaven looks like, I started thinking, hey, this might not be a bad place to go. I mean, when you start to talk about streets of gold, like this sounds like a pretty good description of a place that I would like to go. In fact, there's nothing like it on earth. And so, hey, I would just like to go there rather than anywhere else. But then something happened when I was 17, and it changed my whole perspective on heaven. Where I went from not wanting to go to hell to, hey, this would be a great place, to actually met Jesus in a way that transformed my life. I was at a, 
uh, an event called Habersham Slam in Habersham County, Georgia. I was at an event with about 400 high schoolers in their auditorium there. There was a speaker and a band, and, and the band, when they got done with their concert, a guy came up, and, and he proclaimed the message that Paul, that I read to you, that Paul proclaimed, which was Jesus died as a substitute for our sin. Three days later, he came back from the dead. And he talked about what it meant that Jesus came back from the dead, that he not only defeated sin and death, but he also reigns as Lord over all. And then he went through this motion where we actually do this on Sunday mornings. Hey, bow your heads, close your eyes. And, and so we did. The whole auditorium was full of people that were, you know, with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, except for those few of you that like to peek, you know. And, um, and so I see y'all. Anyway, no, I got my head bowed and my eyes closed too. Anyway, so... So we're in there in this auditorium, and, and this guy who just proclaimed the gospel, and I'd heard a million times, he said, he said, does your heart belong to Jesus? Does your heart belong to Jesus? And when a pastor asks a question, you're supposed to answer it, like in your head, not out loud, because that would be weird. Don't raise your hand. We won't call on you. But, but when we ask a question, you're supposed to answer it. And so I answered in my head, and I said 99.9%. And then he said out loud, 99.9% won't do. I was like, oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> This is a very real moment for me at this point, you know, in my faith journey where I've got to decide, am I going to completely surrender my life to Jesus? And I was fighting it the whole time. He said, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I want you to come down here. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrendering your life to Jesus where you ask him to be Lord. And uh, he said, one. I said, I'm not going. I'm not going. He said, two. I said, I'm not going. I'm not going. When he said, three. I just made a beeline to the front. And that night, I met Jesus in a way to where I said, hey, I don't want to lead my life anymore. I want you to lead it. I want you to not only be my savior so that I can get some fire insurance, so that I can get into this beautiful place. I want you to lead my life right now, 100%. Then they did this weird thing. And the weird thing was, they took these people that had just made this moment, like this decision to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then they shuffled us through Habersham County High School into classrooms where we met one-on-one -on -one with a complete stranger. You never have to worry about that happening at the Vine, okay? It's, it scarred me for life. No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, it's just a weird thing. It's just a weird thing. So they move us, in, and, and this guy starts to unpack for me all these things from Scripture that, that were promised when we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but Lord. And one of those things was is that we have this assurance that when we die here on earth, we will be in heaven. We will spend eternity with God in heaven. He, he, he quoted Romans 10, 9, and 10. It was one of the first verses that I memorized after that moment, which was that if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I was like, man, I had so much assurance that when I died here on earth, I was going to get into heaven. But then he started to tell me what happens now. And he said, when you surrender your life to Jesus, not only do you have the assurance of getting into heaven when you die, but you have the assurance of heaven getting into you so that you can live called the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, the very Spirit of Jesus. You don't have to wait till you die to get into heaven. You can experience life in heaven here on earth. And that this life is an abundant life, John 10, 10 tells us. It's better than anything that we could ever imagine. And so from that moment in Habersham County, Georgia, where I said, Jesus, I want you to have 100% of my heart, my life has never been the same. And I've experienced all kinds of things that the Bible talks about happening. Because not only did I have the assurance of getting into heaven when I died, but, but I had the assurance of heaven getting into me so that I could live. 
When it comes to heaven, what makes heaven heaven is Jesus. And if we're not at a place in our faith journey where where we've moved from like this fear of hell, so we don't want to go to hell, to this place where we go, oh man, it's going to be awesome in heaven, to a place where we go, I want to see this wonderful, beautiful, glorious leader of my life, then maybe we need to pause and reevaluate this whole death and resurrection thing. Because you, through trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you have this great promise that this person who comes to dwell inside of you, that you're called to walk with and abide with, that you get to know and you get to love, will be there in all of his fullness and all of his glory. And if that's where he is, that's where we want to be. And that's what we have the option to believe in today. So before we talk about next week, hey, what you're going to be like in heaven, and what you'll do in heaven the next week, and what you won't do in heaven, and how we can bring heaven to earth, The question is, will you be in heaven one day, and is heaven in you right now? It's not just a question for me and my story. It's a question for all of us. It's a question I asked 915 service, and we had, I think, three people who trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior in the kind of normal response time. Yeah, that's awesome. Let me tell you about the story of a guy who came up after that. So after we did the whole like normal service closing, with heads bowed, eyes closed, and we had people respond. I had a guy come forward, and he's just bawling. He's in tears. And he said, what you, needed to, what you said today is what I needed to hear. And he started to say that over the last three nights, he had had a total of six hours of sleep. And the reason he only had six hours of sleep is because he was waking up every night drunk, and I said, well, hey, what, what, like, what, what's God doing in your life right now? He's like, God's calling me to surrender. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but he's not the leader of my life. And I said, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And when we get to the part where we confess our sins, I just, want you to, I just want you to confess like everything that you have not surrendered to him. And that I believe through the power of God, God can bring deliverance. By our participation in the power of God, God can bring freedom from that addiction to alcohol, and he goes, and cocaine. I was like, oh, okay, now that's a little bit bigger. All right, but like, we'll pray for that too. And so we get to that moment, tears streaming down his face, and, and I said, just, just confess whatever you want to confess, whatever you want to surrender to God. I mean, he's just going through alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, tobacco. He's, he's going through the list. He's surrendering. And in that moment, there was only, the only word I could use to describe it was just a wash. It was just like a wash came over him. I said, hey, did you feel anything? He said, yeah, I felt it. It was like God's spirit filling him up, just completely washed over him. Not only for the assurance of the forgiveness of sins, but for the promise of heaven getting into him to where he does not have to be a slave any longer to that sin, to that addiction, to that lifestyle but to where he gets to experience heaven on earth. And this is the same promise that is available to a 17-year-old in the room whose sin list um, might not sound as, as glorious as that one that I just listed for you, but is just as dangerous. Or to the 37-year-old that has a list of all these big like addictions that sounds crazy. It's available to all of us if we will believe And so this morning, do you believe in the full gospel? Do you have the full assurance of getting into heaven one day when you die here on earth? And do you have the assurance 
that heaven is in you right now so that you can live. This is what's available for you today.
Shout. 